welcome to episode 40 of the Relational Grace Podcast, where we feature the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. Today we'll dive into the fourth teaching of the Nehemiah series, where we'll follow along as Nehemiah approaches the only man in the world of that day that had the power to change the circumstances that existed in Jerusalem. It just so happens that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to that man, and that man was King Artaxerxes of Persia, who had a close relationship with Nehemiah. Now, as we recall from past episodes, Pastor Harris continues to share with us the types and shadows found in this story. We have learned that Nehemiah represents the Holy Spirit, and not only that, we learn that he represents the strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit. In this message, we'll learn the role that King Artaxerxes plays in these types and shadows as Pastor Harris walks us through the relational intricacies of Nehemiah and his king. Now, I continue to mention Pastor Harris's circle teachings. We also refer to these teachings and diagrams as the circles of man. As an example, Dad walks us through the battle that the Apostle Paul faced with his body, soul, and spirit, which also happened to be the three primary circles of man in Dad's teachings. Through this excerpt, we'll learn about the challenges the Apostle Paul faced in building the protective walls of his soul. Nehemiah faced the same challenges in the physical realm, which was to rebuild the protective walls of the city of his people, the city of Jerusalem. So with that, I give you today's message, the fourth message in the Nehemiah series titled, Bringing Petition Before the King. Now, the compassion and the concern of Nehemiah for his people in Jerusalem becomes apparent in the opening dialogue of this book. There, Nehemiah speaks with Hanani, the envoy from Judea. Portions of this conversation, my friends, are recorded in some detail in the opening verses. Now, the compassion of Nehemiah was clearly demonstrated in the tears that began to flow down his cheeks as this as this dialogue progressed. Oh, my friends, his tenderness toward the broken condition of God's elect provides only one more evidence of Nehemiah's typological affiliation with the Holy Spirit, who is the source of all compassion in this world. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, a second typological attribute of the king's cupbearer appears. Now, not only was he compassionate, this man was also totally committed to his suffering people. You see, Nehemiah was a man who would not be able to rest until he knew that the people of God, his people, were once again dwelling in security, who were once again dwelling in peace behind the protective walls of a restored city of Jerusalem. But now the question was, how? How would such a restoration occur? Well, being a courtesan, Nehemiah recognized that only one man in the entire world of that day had the power to change the circumstances which existed in Jerusalem. And that man was none other than Artaxerxes of Persia, his boss. And since Nehemiah enjoyed a deep personal relationship with this man Artaxerxes, it was only reasonable that he would make the decision to intercede personally and directly with Artaxerxes on behalf of Jerusalem and on behalf of its people. Now, as Nehemiah approached Artaxerxes, he had already made the decision to ask the king to permit him to leave the royal court so that he could travel to Judea to personally direct the restoration of Jerusalem's ruined bulwarks. But now we should understand something. You better clearly understand this. 
There was a definite risk involved in such a request as this. The truth is, it actually bordered upon a major breach of Persian court etiquette. You see, for a courtesan of the Persian Empire, a man like Nehemiah to dare to ask to be dismissed from the emperor's glorious presence could actually result in that man's death, beloved. The emperor might consider such a request to be an insult, and the usual penalty for insulting an emperor was beheading. Well, the typological ties between Nehemiah and the Holy Spirit tend to break down at this point, and I'll confess that, simply because there is no risk at all when the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with the Father. One can be assured that this one minor typological breakdown in no way affects the typological structure of any part of the remainder of this story. Now, Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the only instance where I find him not to be. Well, Nehemiah goes in to present his request. And as he did so, he was certain in his own mind that the rebuilding of Jerusalem was worth any danger that he might be bringing upon himself by making this request. In his mind, death would be a small price to pay for seeing God's city standing once again in glory and splendor atop Zion's holy hill. Now, beloved, all of us, every single one of you listening to the sound of my voice today who is born of God's Spirit should know that the Holy Spirit has made this very same commitment to all of us. His attitude toward us is made clear over and over and over and over again in Scripture. You see, my friends, the Holy Spirit is our representative in the divine Godhead. He knows that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, suffered indescribable pain and even death on Calvary to save a lost humanity. And the Holy Spirit also knows that Christ offered this sacrifice as an eternal gift to a depraved and fallen race. You see, we human beings may not deserve his precious gift, but he has still offered the gift just the same. We have actually been purchased by the blood of God's own Son. And beloved, because that is so, the Holy Spirit sees his involvement in our reconstruction as being worth every effort and any risk. You see, just as Christ was willing to die to pay any price for our salvation, the Holy Spirit is willing to pay any price to enable us to be conformed to the image of God's dear Son. Now, the text reveals that Nehemiah was not impervious to the dangers that he faced in his appeal to the emperor. He understood it. It even describes his trepidations. On the human level, the text shows that in his soul, he was trembling with fear when he approached Artaxerxes. Nehemiah himself confessed. Then, When I stood before the king, now I'm adding those words in there, but this is what it's talking about. Then when I stood before the king, I was sore afraid. I was very afraid. I was scared out of my wits. Now, what I'm saying is this. The human side of Nehemiah, his body and his soul working in concert, had experienced dread of this encounter. They dreaded it before they ever entered the king's presence. Then once Nehemiah actually stood before the king, he suddenly became very afraid, sore afraid. However, to Nehemiah's surprise, the king did not respond to his fearfulness. 
Artaxerxes responded instead to his sad countenance. He asked his trouble aid this question, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Well, beloved, this verse demonstrates to me at least the intimate relationship that existed between this emperor and his trusted servant, his cupbearer. This great king felt the deepest compassion for the distress of this most extraordinary servant. Now, the New Testament typology, which surfaces in the events to follow, is both wonderful and revealing. Artaxerxes will offer several clear types and shadows of God the Father, especially in the sensitivity and compassion which he'll show for the concerns of his servant. And in the same way, believers can be sure that God is touched by anything that concerns his Holy Spirit. Beloved, set that down. There's another principle. God is concerned by anything that concerns his Holy Spirit. The heart of God is always moved whenever his Holy Spirit is disturbed, especially if that concern is for the elect people. You see, the distress of his Holy Spirit will always move the heart of God to action. Now, the fear that Nehemiah had experienced in the king's presence had arisen from the possibility that Artaxerxes might have reacted to his petition with some anger. Some of us may entertain the same fear when we make our requests known to our divine king. You know, many of us have been taught all of our lives, and I certainly was, that we serve an angry and bellicose God. Oh, beloved, I can't tell you how I feared God growing up. I mean, with a terrible fear. That's why for so many years I saw God as being wrathful and hateful. But you know, I discovered later, oh, glory be to God, that such a view of God, a God being wrathful and hateful, is totally unbiblical. Listen to me. I want you to understand this. Today, God is no longer mad at anyone but Satan. The only anger God expresses is his righteous hostility that he directs solely towards sin and against its author, the devil. Beloved, understand this. God hates sin simply because it maims and destroys his highest and best creation, the human family. God hates sin because he knows that sooner or later all sin leads to either destruction, disharmony, disease, or distress. This chaotic state is painful to God since above all else, our God is a good and caring father. And like any faithful father, God hates anything that brings pain and destruction upon his children. Well, when... Nehemiah realized that Artaxerxes was not angry with his request, but had responded to his suggestion with compassion. The cupbearer was encouraged, and especially when the king asked his servant, Why do you grieve? Nehemiah answered by saying, Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lies waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Why shouldn't I be sad? Well, obviously, Nehemiah's answer was direct, as direct as it was clear. You see, 
Listen, my friends, in a very literal sense, he had said, Artaxerxes, why shouldn't I be sad when the city when the city that my ancestors built by the sweat of their brows lies buried in ruins? Even their graves are wasted. Beloved, I want you to understand, this appeal was going to prove to be most effective since the veneration of ancestors was a central element in Persian religion. This appeal then, the words of Nehemiah here, really got Artaxerxes' attention, you can believe it. I mean, all he had to do was mention his father's sepulchers, and I'm going to tell you, it woke the king up. Now, you know, I personally admire Nehemiah's courage and his request and his appearance. If I had known that I was standing before a man who put people to death for even daring to look sad in his presence, which the Persian kings often did, I would certainly not have responded like Nehemiah did. If Artaxerxes had asked me, why are you sad? I would have been tempted to shift the blame for my condition to someone else. And you know, I still do that at times. (laughs) I do, I must confess. I do not always accept the responsibility for my emotional reactions. Like many people at times, I tend to shift the blame for my emotional difficulties off on other people. Do you ever do that? Of course you do. You see, Nehemiah could have easily blamed his saddened condition on the people of Jerusalem. Nehemiah could have said, O king, I would not be so sad in your presence if the people of Jerusalem had not been so lazy and unmotivated. They're the reason I'm so sad and distraught. They've now been living in Zion for over 90 years, and as far as I can see, these people have not lifted a hand to help themselves. And you know something? If he had said that, he had said it with some justification. But not Nehemiah. This man refused to allow himself to pass judgment on his people. Certainly, these people had their faults. Certainly, these people had their imperfections. But Nehemiah knew that in spite of their inabilities, the people of Jerusalem truly desired to see their beloved city rebuilt. He knew that, and he knew they wanted to do that with all their heart. They simply lacked the power. They lacked the resources to get the job done. Now, you know, the powerless people of Jerusalem resembled countless scores of Christians today. Many believers truly desire to live a complete Christian existence. They truly long to be like Jesus, but they find themselves powerless to do it. No matter how hard they try, they simply cannot walk the Christian walk. They simply cannot find the strength within themselves. Now, I must admit, I can personally relate to these widespread feelings of powerlessness. I often feel like a total hypocrite when I examine my daily walk as a Christian. I know that the spirit person within me desires above all else to be like Jesus. It longs for me to be a person who is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And at times my soulish man has willed to walk in conformity to my spirit's desires, but there are also times when I fall on my face. Now I've taken some comfort in the fact that I'm not totally alone in this dilemma. As I read the scriptures, I find that Even the great apostle Paul experienced a similar frustration. Like me, he could occasionally speak of himself as a wretched man, sharing with me feelings of vulnerability and powerlessness. This vulnerability can be clearly seen in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, where the apostle describes some of his own early spiritual struggles. Paul shares how, as a young Christian, his regenerated spirit would plead with his soul. The spirit of Saul 
of, of Paul would urge his soul to bring his physical body into line with God's will, but the apostle soon discovered that his soul did not have the strength to overcome the desires of his body. And as a result of this bodily domination of his life, Paul did not often feel good enough to please a holy God. In spite of every soulish effort, to the contrary, his body continued at times to do the very evil acts that his soul, quickened by the Spirit, did not want him to do. The Apostle Paul was fully aware of the dynamics that were at work in him. He knew that it was his regenerated spirit that was creating his inner desire to do good, but his physical body would not submit to the righteous desires of his regenerated spirit. His problem was the sin that had remained in his physical body after he had been redeemed. And this residue of sin in his body was often so strong that it overpowered the will of his soul. So even though his spirit delighted in obeying God, his physical body delighted in pleasuring itself. Can you relate to that? Sure you can. Now the result of this conflict within the apostle was a civil war that raged continually within the life of this man. The body and its appetites, what Paul called the law in my members, continually waged war with the will of Paul's soul, what Paul called the law of my mind. And these bodily desires were often so great that the apostle Paul felt helpless before them. So he would cry out, O wretched, ruined, broken, defenseless man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body? of this death. It was this body of death that warred with Paul's soul, attempting to defeat the desires of his redeemed spirit. Now, while a war of this magnitude was waging within him, Paul found that the walls of his life simply could not be rebuilt. You see, beloved, what I'm saying is this. Paul's condition represents a universal human experience. This wretched man reflects the experiences of millions of born-again Christians. These men and women have often erected temples to God in their regenerated spirits. They have become genuinely new creation. Old things like spiritual death have passed away from them. They've put off the old man, and their names are recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. But at that point, all progress ceased spiritually. They have failed to progress any further. They have found themselves powerless to build adequate walls of protection around their souls. Therefore, their wills, their reasoning, and their emotions lie unprotected from the awesome demands of their physical bodies. Now, the Apostle Paul refers to this condition by using the word carnality. And the physical body is the carnality culprit in our lives. It has three distinct needs, as I've said before, that dictate this role. You see, the body needs nourishment. And unless this need is held in check, the body will become gluttonous. Secondly, the body needs protection. And unless this need is held in check, the body will become aggressive. And thirdly, the, bi the body needs to reproduce its life. And unless this need is held in check, the body will become perverse. Oh, beloved, our spirit persons will never begin to take dominion over our lives until our spirit persons wax mighty within us. Our human souls will never be brought into total agreement with the will of God until the bodily appetites begin to be held in check. As long, beloved, as our souls 
refuse to be dead to the hungers of our physical bodies. Walls of protection, which will keep these things at bay, will never be erected in our lives. As Paul found, the civil war that results from listening to our bodies will prevent the successful completion of our personal reconstruction. Without the presence of protective walls, we remain totally vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. We continually aggravate our bodily desires so that we cannot listen to our regenerated spirits. Do you see the issue, my friends? The Holy Spirit alone can bring victory in this war. He alone has the ability and the authority to establish the protective walls that enable we believers to deny the desires of the body and to resist the assaults of the devil. He alone can fill our being. See, he alone can empower us to build strong, stable, protected lives. Beloved, I'm simply saying this. There is no reason in the world why we believers should stand defenseless against the appetites of our bodies or against the suggestions of Satan. 2,000 years ago, God dispatched his Holy Spirit to help his people erect a new line of defense against every attack of the enemy. In fact, for that entire 2,000-year period, God has proven to be willing to help this great spiritual engineer and administrator to help raise the potential protective walls for anyone who asks. If you ask him to help you, he will build a wall, a hedge of protection about you. Now, I must warn you, this rebuilding activity takes time. The Holy Spirit needs time to rebuild a life. Just like any building project takes time, the rebuilding of your life takes time too. A time lapse always exists between the commission, the commissioning of a project and its full completion. There is always an interim. Walls, beloved, are never built in a day. But believers beware. Believers beware. Satan will use this interim between the commissioning of the project and its full completion to block and ridicule. He will scoff at our continuing state of brokenness. But I want to tell you about God's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never mocks us. Rather than ridiculing us, the Holy Spirit makes our needs, not our faults. He makes our needs known to God. So Nehemiah provides a clear type of this strengthening ministry of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah realized that his brethren in Jerusalem did not enjoy their state of vulnerability. Therefore, they did not need to be criticized. They needed a qualified wall builder with royal authority to help them and not a prosecutor to accuse them. Well, Artaxerxes realized that his cupbearer was prepared to ask him for a favor. So he asked Nehemiah, for what dost thou make a request? And Nehemiah, being ever aware of his need for God in this project, quickly breathed a prayer. He asked God for one thing. He asked for favor in the eyes of the king. How terribly wise this is. Certainly this prayer violated the general rule that an effective prayer is an audible prayer. But since God knew Nehemiah's heart, he granted his request and caused Artaxerxes to look upon Nehemiah with favor. 
and having found this grace in the eyes of Artaxerxes. Nehemiah then made the following request, and I quote from Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto, to Judea and to the city of my father's sepulchres, that I might build it. Do you see this? Nehemiah believed that that Jerusalem needed a man, and he believed that God had personally set him, Nehemiah, aside to be that man. So in verse 5, Nehemiah requested that Artaxerxes grant to him the royal authority to be an envoy to Jerusalem. Now he realized that such a journey would be both hazardous and rigorous. He also knew that once he arrived in Jerusalem, there would be very few creature comforts available to him. But in spite of all of these impediments, he was determined to forge ahead. His people were in need, and Nehemiah was determined to minister to those needs. No matter what the cost might be, he was going to go and be their companion. So in review... The passion and determination of Nehemiah in this section of Scripture reflects the essence of the Holy Spirit's nature. In fact, everything Nehemiah does in pursuit of the completion of his project, including his meeting with Hananiah, his prayers and his tears, the risk that he took, his bold requests, his perilous journey, demonstrates that he was a man who would never rest until those he loved were protected and secure. This man reflects, as well as any character in the entire Bible, the comprehensive work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this becomes even more apparent when Nehemiah actually arrives in the holy city. It's going to be clear then. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to connect with Aerial Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at aerialministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Aerial Ministries in Thoraka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, We'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Aerial Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit aerialministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Thoraka mission, you can visit aerialministries.com missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.